1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the critical week ahead for your money as tech earnings loom large. The committee weighing in today on who is likely to deliver. Who might disappoint? What it all means for stocks. Joining me for the hour today, Carrie Firestone, Jason Snipe. And with me on set here, Surat Sethi, Joe Terranova. Let's check the markets. Got a pretty good Friday going here. Dow's good for 450. That's 1.5%. NASDAQ, 1%. Getting a little bit of rate relief today. The 10-year's at 421. The 2-year is at 447. Remember, we were pushing like 460. So we're getting a bit of a relief, Joe. Maybe it's due in part to that Timurow story in the Journal On the idea of 75 in November, whether the Fed will do 50 then in December and how they and how they will communicate uh, that the market reacted to that story.
2: Without question, that's what the expectation has been. Will they give us some form of guidance at the November meeting that the unprecedented 75 basis point rate hikes of the past several months are coming to an end? And the market will respond positively to that. But to your point, Scott. We are completely hostage to where Treasury yields are going to go. 463 earlier today for a two-year Treasury. And I can tell you I've spoken in the last two days with several taxable fixed income money managers who are telling me that there are liquidity concerns in the Treasury market and in the high-yield market. It's real. It's in the wake of the events uh, over in the U.K. And it's something that I think the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Secretary have to pay attention. All
1: right, so your points are, are well made and I think well taken. Um, so, yeah, I think we are in, in large part held hostage in some respects, Surratt, by the move in interest rates. You've seen the correlation directly, rates up, stocks down. As Joe was saying that, though, then I'm thinking, well, maybe the Fed is held hostage, too. Yes. Because they can't allow rates to get out of control either. And that's what Nat Alliance is talking about today responding to the report in the journal. They say, it seems like the Fed, regardless of what they say, does not want rates, especially the long end, to get out of control. We think we're on the verge of a taper tantrum. Maybe we had it from 4.10 on the 10 year to 4.34, too far, too fast.
3: Yeah, look, I think it's not just the interest rates that they're doing, it's what are the ramifications of this. And, you know, we saw what happened in Europe and the UK. Could that explode into a credit issue? Also, when you think about all our debt that we're issuing, how much can the government support of those rates? So I think, you know, this lagged economic data, the faster it comes, and if it's actually going to, uh, you know, complement what the Fed is doing, then I do think it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get the Fed pivot to cut, but if we actually get some signaling that this is where we're going to be and we're going to stay here for a while, I think the markets will like that uncertainty taken away.
1: I'll tell you what the market is liking right now. And uh, it was Carl uh, Quintanilla in the, in the handoff to our show who noted those comments from uh, Mary Daly, who says we're at or close to a neutral rate, um, which is interesting if you think about the trajectory of where we're going from here. It's no surprise that you've got a 500-point gain now on the Dow, Uh, she also says it all of this sort of requires a step down into smaller increments of hikes. It's kind of exactly what we're talking about and why some are remaining bullish here because they think the Fed is close to the end and they're going to make it clear at some point soon that they're close to the end.
2: So real quick, I think what, what the Treasury market has done with the rise in yields is no longer does the Federal Reserve, Scott, have the luxury of waiting to see if the rate hikes, the tightening of the balance sheet will bring down inflation. The market is telling them they can't wait any longer. And I think that is crystal clear right now. And that's why I think you will get you will get a pause and it'll be communicated in November.
1: I'm not sure if Leisman is in the building or not, but uh, guys in the back, maybe we can get him and um, we can either bring him out here or have him phone in or or, or wherever. But let's try and work on that because you can see the drop in yields as we're following that. Kerry, you know, despite all of this, some are not convinced that rates are gonna go down, and that's ultimately gonna to lead to the demise of stocks. That's Michael Hartnett, who's been real, he's been right, right on the money. Uh, Bank of America, he does their flow show. New highs in yields, new lows in stocks coming, is what he says. Our view, we're bearish despite ubiquitous bearish sentiment. Right, I mean, everybody's kind of bearish, but he says it doesn't matter. Inflation shock, rates shock ongoing, plus recession shock, And credit shock starting, new highs in yields, spreads, lows in stocks coming. The final capitulation, he says, will be led by an unwind of hubris longs, hubristic longs in large cap growth stocks. Now, we can get to the. I don't want to get into uh, the high growth stuff yet because we're going to do that looking ahead to earnings. But this idea of regardless of what these folks say, rates are not done going up and stocks are not done going down.
4: Well, it's it's very, um, I guess, nice, optimistic, encouraging that there are smart people saying that the Fed is really considering making the next 75 hike the last one. But we've gone through this before. The market has had these little rallies on. The concept that things are going to slow down at the Fed and they're going to look at data and they're going to decide not to raise 75 in December. That has been wishful thinking based on what Fed officials have been telling us. You know, I want to believe that inflation is coming down. If we look at housing prices, you think about what's happened to mortgage rates and car loans. And there's been signs of some slowdown in spending. But the Fed has not wavered, really, from what they said about keeping the you know the foot on the pedal until we get a reduction in inflation well they have to say so what they're going to say i, I don't right? know they what, have
1: to say what they're going to say correct. At, at some point yeah. pay attention but to there's what there's no they evidence do. pay attention to what they do not what yeah. they say I, I hear you oh but, of course you know of at, course. At, at some so, point that that becomes the most important thing so back to you quick well
4: i, I would say what's I would say what's most important right now is that the market realizes or investors realize that there may be opportunities at 15 15 times next year's earnings. There's a price level for stocks, regardless of whether we get 275s or we're in a recession or going into a recession. At some price, the stocks are worth buying. But to say it's because we know it's going to happen in December, I, I just think that's too far away based on all of these bits of data that come in every single day.
1: So, Jason, you got, you know, concerns out there. Joe was talking about liquidity and volatility in the bond market. A lot of people are focused on that, of course. Jeremy Siegel, Fed critic, uh, was with me yesterday in overtime uh, in person, uh, which was nice. And here's what he said about this idea of what the Fed is doing and feeding into this whole issue with the lack of liquidity and volatility in credit. Listen. And I think the more you look, the more you see that. And particularly, I look at liquidity, the money supply. I've never seen a deceleration and a decline from March, almost record in the post-war period. This is, to me, playing with fire uh, in terms of what could happen to the economy. Right. I mean, it's a, the it's a same tune sort of from the professor, uh, but he's not the only one singing it.
0: No doubt about it, Scott. And I, you know, I agree with a lot of the commentary that's already been said, especially what Kerry just mentioned. You know, the the Fed is is not robotic, right? You know, they will be data centric, data dependent, whatever you want to call it. You know, but clearly, this article this morning and in, in this a difference in stance going forward. Hey, obviously, seventy five basis points in early November is priced in. There's no doubt about that. But the idea uh, that they won't go too much further in december or maybe it's it's not 75 maybe it's 50 maybe it's 25 or incrementally lower going forward as they move to the terminal rate obviously that's that's catalytic for the market and that's why we're we're seeing the move that we are today mm-hmm. and obviously yields pulling back right so i think that's part of the story you know and and as we look to kind of next week and i know we'll get to it later in the show you know It's going to be a good read through. It's going to be a good read through as we look at Megacat Tech and all their earnings uh, that we'll see next week. But but clearly this is this is good news and the market is responding well.
1: So we do have Leisman who's who's ready now. I'm not even sure if he's on the phone or in person or or where. Um, Steve, you there. There he is. Um, So you want to react first. It's good to have you on. I'm glad you popped on with us. Uh, You want to just react to these daily headlines, uh, Mary Daly at or close to neutral yeah. requires a step down into smaller increments of hikes?
5: I mean, I think it's worth pointing out, Scott, that Daly is one of the more dovish members of the Federal Market Committee. Um, and, and let's not uh, have a memory that's shorter than 24 hours that I believe we were on this show yesterday mm-hmm. when Patrick Harker from Philadelphia made some uh, hawkish comments and he was going the other way mm-hmm. on this and the market went the other way. Um, and so there is a diversity of opinion out there. I don't think what Daly's saying is, is really that far out of bounds of what, was, what the market was priced in. I will say at the moment, you've had the peak funds rate come off, Scott. You were, four, you were up near 5, now you're 487, so a 13 basis point decline. What this is doing is introducing doubt on the far end of what the Fed's going to do. She's still citing the 4.5% funds rate, which is part of the, um, the summary of economic projections from the Fed. The question is, what happens beyond that? I think one of your guests was just, one of your uh, panelists was just talking about that, Scott, mm-hmm. that we're still got a 75 in front of us and a 50, uh, say, at the end of the year, which is pretty much where the market was, with the debate being, where's the pause and where do you go from here? I always had questions about how far the Fed would go uh, before it started to either ratchet down. Or, or even stop and pause. But I don't think this is a dramatic change in the outlook for the Federal Reserve. You should have been thinking about this already, but they are still, I think, headed for that 4.5% range.
1: But I mean, you know, what What we got in Fed funds 5% even yesterday, I believe it was from May of 23, right? So the, the market had moved pretty aggressively to where it thought that was going to go. Yeah. And we had kind of conditioned ourselves for 75 in November, and then maybe another 75 in December, the journal story today, I want your opinion of that, too. It, it, it's not an accident yeah. that um, that story is, is out today, I don't think. And it's the idea of, you know, conditioning people for what's coming. And I think the most interesting part of that, according to Tim Rose, who wrote the piece, is preparing investors for a decision in the weeks after the November meeting, as he says, without prompting another sustained rally, right? The Fed wants to be able to communicate their strategy without sending stocks surging because it defeats the purpose of ultimately what they're trying to do. Yeah,
5: I think that's right, Scott. I I, I think that the 75 being built in that's what we know what's what in front of us. I didn't think that part of the uh, story was news. And the question becomes, after that, and it's going to depend on the data. If we get a little cooperation from inflation and the Fed feels like it can ease off the 75s. Remember what we're talking about, easing off rate hikes. We're not talking about even pausing at this point. Um, you're right. I mean, we are down. We were up at 503 on the April contract, which was it, April or May. Yeah, it's the May contract. You're absolutely right, Scott. And now we're down near 388 today. So that's 13 basis points. What that tells you is there's a swing factor on that last quarter point, but it still tells you you're going pretty high. I don't know how much uh, – I think it was Karen talking earlier you want to um, – sell the house, uh, bet the farm
1: uh, on stocks at this moment because of
5: that particular change.
1: But also the idea, though, that, you know, while and we put this forth while investors are uh, held hostage in some respects, Steve, by this move in rates, the Fed is, too, it it can't let part of the rate picture get out of control. That's the Nat Alliance idea today. They say, quote, as I read earlier, we think we're we were on the verge of a taper tantrum. Maybe we had it from 4.10 to 4.34, too far, too fast. You have Siegel worry about, you know, the lack of liquidity and volatility in the bond market. He's far from the only one. They must be thinking about these issues.
5: They are, Scott, but I'm sorry. I just can't come on air here and say the Fed is going to pivot because of comments from Daly. And I'll remind you again, we had comments that were, were not directly opposed yesterday from Harker, um, who is, I think, more in the middle, more in the center of where the Fed is right now. I I can't read the journal story, these comments from Daly, and say the Fed is backing off on on heading eventually to 4.5%. I don't think the Fed wants you to think that. Um, I think you can think about, does the Fed really have to (laughs) go to 5? I just don't think. Remember, Scott, didn't we have um, Siegel on? I asked him, I said, well, what do you want the Fed to do? He said, did he see like 75 and another 50? So he's not even that far from the Fed. He's your dovish guy.
1: Yeah, but, you know, he, he wants them to stop, though, uh, after that. And as, as we've no, said, no, he
5: wanted to go after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Do 75, do yes. 50, and then take a look around. You know, enough with the so he was, uh, powerful rate hikes, yeah. which have already been powerful. Let it go through the system. We're already seeing inflation in many key areas roll over. They need to have a little patience to what they've done and let everything play out. I think that's the that's the point. Right. Enough with the and and remember talking tough, right? Bringing out the the guns. Okay, we get it.
5: Did you interview Rogoff with Rogoff? Tell us five percent earlier this week. (coughs) I did not. Well, that was that was certainly on our air as well, who said five percent. I just think, look. Here's the question, I think, for the panel, if you don't mind, which yeah, is, I don't. where's the risk on this? Is the risk, is the risk that the Fed does more than 4.5 or the risk that the Fed does less? In other words, that would be an opportunity. I still think the risk is that the Fed does more, and there's nothing about what Daly's saying. Now, what they might do is do more, but do it more slowly. Mm-hmm. If that makes you happy, go ahead and buy stocks. But I still think we're in an upside risk to the funds rate environment here. Until we see some real evidence that not just overall inflation, but as several Fed officials have, have, have pointed out, it's the service side of inflation, the wage side of inflation. Until that cools, I would not feel really comfortable
1: taking the under on the Fed rather than the over. So, Joe, where's the risk for the people who are are watching? They, you heard it in the minutes when the Fed said the danger is in doing too little, not too much at this particular point
2: given where I see market conditions, and this is not about go buy stocks. That That's not the direct correlation here. But if you're not going to, if you're going to put the market through a stress test, you at least at some point, before you give the market the heart attack, have to allow the market to catch its breath and take a sip of water. So I'm fine with what Steve's saying. If there's a terminal rate that Steve believes is the right one and will get there over the course of time, that's fine, but we don't have to get there as fast as we're currently getting there because we're beginning to see some cracks in the way we're pricing risk assets, in particular, in fixed income.
1: Yeah, but I mean, Kerry, you know, earnings to this point have been better than feared. They haven't been fabulous, okay? Um, But I look at an American Express, you know, shares are down, they raised their outlook, they, they did beat, you know, they're obviously concerned with where we may be going. Their CFO saying that growth is pretty slow in the U.S. You know, the stock's down 5%. Yeah. What, what do you make of it? And it's just sort of the general earnings picture. Steve, I'm going to let you, let you bounce, too. I appreciate you popping on with us. But, Kerry, uh, go ahead. Sure.
4: So, Scott, you know, American Express is a very good example of a case where reported a good number, better than expected, guided up, and the market doesn't like it because the market is saying, hey, We think that we're entering a recession soon and rates keep going up. Doesn't matter what's happening with people using their American Express card and traveling a lot and buying luxury goods. We, the market, think that's going to slow down or it's going to drop off dramatically. And they are penalizing the company for being in a sector of the market that relies on travel expenses, people spending and a a robust demand for uh, consumer goods. As you, um, as you, as you spend in you know different locations around the world, so the market's saying we don't believe it, and and unless you report something that the market feels very comfortable, will persist. It's going to penalize uh, the company and its stock price.
1: You want to own this stock? That's I mean, what's Jason, going on. Jason, you own it, but you know why? Why would you want to own a stock like this if you think that the economic picture is going to become more bleak?
0: Yeah, it's a a great question to ask, and I think as it relates to AXP, right? So, I mean, the loan loss provisions were 200 million. Um, They were increased 200 million, so that's that's more than what the street had expected. I think it is tough as you look at the forecast, and if you believe that we're heading into a recession, again, AXP caters to the higher-end consumer, which is not completely immune to what potentially is down the pike, but yeah, these stocks are hard to own in a, in a space, if that is your general thesis. But for me, uh, to Kerry's point, I mean, the company has done really well. They've done well in Europe, 24% revenue growth, travel and expense, travel and entertainment, I should say, was up 57%. So. Uh, you know, I think it's still a positive, and it's and it's and it's also performed well relatively to other financials in the space. So I still like it. I have a small position here, and we'll, we'll continue to hold it. Surat,
1: you own it too.
3: I, I do, and let me just uh, add some more to that. Look, it's a very well-run business, and yes, I know the market's saying things are going to slow down, mm-hmm. but management is already discounting part of that into their growth rate, and they're saying, look, we know this is happening. We're taking the credit reserves right now. And and when you talk to United, I mean United Airlines, what did the CEO say? Hey, people are now traveling more around the weekends, hybrid work. This is all the thing that I we said every every
1: weekend's a holiday weekend now. I think I think that's what he said.
3: What he said, right. So, so when you talk to Amex management, what they're saying is, look, people are are out and about, and very different from what we had two years ago. It's 13 times earnings. It's a very well-run company. Can you time kind of where you know the multiple's gonna be? No, but I think once you get to a steady state, This is a company that has earnings acceleration and a diversified kind of consumer base. The the only
1: place I want to go real quick before we get out of here, Joe, uh, just give me a comment. We noted that Under Armour today, I bring it up just because, you know, Adidas yesterday, literally 24 hours ago to to the moment almost, uh, cut its outlook. And you had weight on Nike as a result of that. Look at Under Armour. That's a 12-year low, Uh, downgraded at Telsey today. How should we think about this category uh, of the market? YOU SHOULD THINK ABOUT THIS
2: CATEGORY AS COMING UNDER PRESSURE. THIS IS DISCRETIONARY FOR CONSUMERS. AND I THINK, UNFORTUNATELY, THIS IS A COMPANY THAT HAS FAILED TO KIND OF reestablish A LOT OF THE GROWTH STORY WHERE INVESTORS PAID A PREMIUM FOR THE STOCK PRICE FIVE TO SEVEN YEARS AGO. THAT'S A it, CRAZY it's, DECLINE, it's RIGHT? Just, ISN'T IT? But,
1: 69% YEAR TO DATE?
2: THE ULTIMATE TRAP. I MEAN, THAT'S WHAT IT'S BECOME. THEY'VE NEVER BEEN ABLE TO REIGNITE THE GROWTH STORY AT THIS COMPANY
1: just catches your eye. I mean, it's under seven bucks. What a decline. All right, let's take a break. We're going to come back and talk about the busiest week for earnings just ahead. Mega cap tech stocks front and center. As you know, we'll find out which of these names the committee has the most and the least confidence in. We'll do it next.
6: Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60 day free trial at LinkedIn.com slash halftime report. That is LinkedIn.com slash halftime report for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash halftime report and get started.
1: We got a ton of ownership on the desk of those stocks right there ahead of what is undoubtedly the biggest week of earnings this season and maybe you know more than so much is riding on, on on what these companies deliver just given where we are and what a lot of those stocks have done you know some of the, of which have been at 52 week lows not that long ago so jason snipe we wanted to know from everybody on the committee what are you most and least confident in heading into this week not surprisingly i suppose everybody is most confident in microsoft including you why don't you tell me that? But what is a surprise is what you are least confident in, and tell me that next.
0: You got it. So, for me, Microsoft. To your point, Scott, um, I really like cloud. Uh, the Azure business has grown uh, really nicely through the pandemic and, and past pandemic, right? So it's 40% year over year in the last quarter. Yes, they, the the theme mm-hmm. of of the week next week will be X, will be FX, right? I mean. Uh, Microsoft has over 50% of their exposure overseas, but I, but I just think there's a lot of strength in cloud and they'll continue to do well. Now, as it relates to the company that I think will, will you know, possibly, I, th- I think they'll meet expectations. I don't, I don't think the numbers will be blowout is Apple. And, and that's just for, for ownership. Meta we don't own out of the big tech, but Apple would be for me. Um, I, I think they, have, they obviously have a lot more exposure uh, from an FX perspective, than, than everybody else, close to 65%. There, um, you know, pricing manufacturing has slowed some, so we've we've seen some news about that single-digit growth uh, and a multiple of. 23 times, you know, which just mm-hmm. continues to be a premium to the market. I'm just not super excited about Apple here.
1: Kerry, I mean, least confident for you is Meta, like um, everybody but Jason, which I suppose is not surprising given what the stock has done. And now it's kind of hard to be jazzed up about it after what Snap dropped on the market last night. Um, so I hear you on that. Most confident in Microsoft, though, like Jason. Why is that the one for, for everybody? Why for you over over an apple or over another uh, name in the big picture
4: i think that microsoft in a way has replaced apple as the haven for safe for safety and it's become the dependable company and apple lost people's confidence last quarter and when they've talked about the iphone sales weakening and problems with china you have to think outside the apple box and say well who can we rely on and and i'm not suggesting that microsoft is the cheapest stock of these i actually think you know google and i think meta are cheap stocks Uh, But Microsoft is the one that's reliable because cloud and I think, you know, the software business, enterprise software, should be strong this quarter. And gaming may be a little weak, but they've telegraphed that. And the multiple has come down considerably. So I I think it's the safe haven stock. But I do think Meta, even though the earnings can be disappointing, is so cheap at this price that it's attractive.
1: Joe, you're least confident in Meta. Cameron Dawson of New Edge, you know, Siegian's firm, called Meta the ultimate value trap. Agree. You do, that's 100%. where we have come. That's what it's 100%.
2: become. First of all, they should go back to Facebook. Management yeah. literally uh, is seems to be void of any clear direction. The acquisition team, they just lost the head of the acquisition team that brought in Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, without question, Facebook to me is the clear value trap avoided at all costs, and yes, I called it Facebook. I am cautious and concerned about all five of these names. This is probably the least confidence that I've had for mega caps going into an earnings season. So I picked Microsoft, and I picked Microsoft because I basically have got five batters who are in an 0 for 30 slump, and I've got to hit someone third. Okay, I'll go with Microsoft, because I feel as though the, at the Azure growth is going to be there. But I think Jason's right. I will even admit with Apple, I have clear concerns there. The services revenue is probably going to decelerate into single-digit growth, which is remarkable when you think about that. They've got currency concerns. They've got China concerns collectively.
1: not too excited about this week. So then, Surat, I go back to something I teased earlier but didn't want to delve into completely, and that's the end of the heartnet note of Bank of America. He says the final capitulation in the market will be led by an unwind of hubristic longs in large cap growth stocks. So, you know, Joe's cautious. Are you? And then if they don't deliver, what are the
3: ramifications of that? So a couple of things there. I mean, one is when you look at their weightings, they're so big in the S&P. So you've got a lot of people hiding out in these stocks. Secondly, I think, you know, when you look at the Microsofts of the world and you look at Apples of the world, the question's going to be just like we saw in Amex today, Even if they come out with positive earnings and say we're going to grow, will the market believe it because the multiples are much higher than just the average multiple of the market? Yeah, but the multiples have come down a lot and they can come they back. They still are
1: higher. Your right. point's well taken. Yeah. Right? Look at, we're looking at it right now. Apple and Microsoft at 23. 23. You're, it's you're, obviously higher than where the S&P right. is. Now, so, Amazon has always had a super premium valuation to the right, market right. anyway, so, so it doesn't, so, almost doesn't
3: count. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they can stay at, you know, north of a 50% premium to the market, especially if the market believes advertising revenue, other things are slowing down, and you use it as a source of funds. So I, I do like, you know, I, I like Microsoft. I think the enterprise, the recurring revenue is really good, highly highly margin businesses but you have to be careful here because you could get re-rating even more just on the multiples and and, and that could be a source of funds for a uh, lot of I people. mean look so you have the the, the gunlock idea that rates had topped
1: Siegel didn't push back on that he thinks that's right Mark Newton at Fundstrat suggests that the rate rises in the final final innings that uh, helps out tech which he suggests looks to be in a good position to rally into the end of the year relatively speaking right so he is certainly bullish, Joe, on, on these names, Well, I, I, more than sounds like you yeah,
2: are. But, well, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the earnings report. As far as the reaction thereafter, well, probably you don't get the fast recovery mm-hmm. that confirms this earnings rally of the last several weeks. But I'll say this. What will protect the downside, in particular for Apple, Alphabet, and Microsoft, is the buyback. And you, you it, let's be clear, that buyback, will be implemented as we move towards the end of the year. We know the change in the tax consequence in 2023 is going to affect them.
1: Okay, so JP Morgan, we're going to get out of here in a second. JP Morgan cuts Internet estimates and targets ahead of the earnings. Deutsche cuts Meta target 170 from 200. Deutsche cuts Alphabet to 130 from, uh, from 135. Not, not that big of a deal. And then you got the uh, executive departure for hardware design leaving Apple. So all of that to keep into perspective. Frank Holland has the headlines for us. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Scott. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Former top Trump White House advisor Steve Bannon was sentenced to four months behind bars for contempt of Congress this morning. Bannon had asked for a sentence of probation as lawyers argued the court should delay any sentence until an appeals court hears this case. A Mississippi community will unveil a statue of Emmett Till today. Till's 1955 lynching was one of the catalysts of the civil rights movement after his mother held an open casket funeral so people could see the horrors inflicted on her 14-year-old son. And the race to replace U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss is now heating up. U.K. Cabinet Secretary Penny Dan is the first MP to announce that she's running, but other members have been declaring their support for former Chancellor Rishi Sunak and former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who are both expected to run. A poll released today found that more than just half of Britons would be unhappy to see Johnson return. That's the very latest. Scott, back over to you. Brian Collin, thank you so much. Up next Energy, a top performer yet again today and gaining 20% this month. But there are some new signals in the market that you need to know about if you are thinking about riding that rally. We'll discuss that and we'll do it next.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
1: All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. ExxonMobil hitting new highs today. Energy standing out as well as a top performer this week and month. Dom Chu joining us with some of the top dividend plays in
7: energy right now. Dom. So, Scott, I mean, it's the only positive sector year to date in the S&P 500. And the next best performer is consumer staples. And that's still down 12 percent compared to the 50 percent gains we've seen in energy. So when you look at energy, many of those stocks in there are there for dividend plays for investors. And one part in particular, market data and analytics firm Whitecharts, took a look at some of the biggest dividend payers on average over the course of the past few years. If you look at some of those names that have paid those outsized dividends, you got to look for certain ones in the pipeline business, right? And we've talked about them in the past. If you look at names like One Oak, also, Kinder Morgan, Williams companies, all ranging roughly between 6 and 8% in terms of dividend yields on average, according to Y charts, just over the last three years. Some of those names have been brought down because the stock price has now gone up in value versus the S&P 500 with a 1.5% dividend yield. But when it comes to the steady dividend payers, there are only two companies in the entire sector that are considered aristocrats. Those that have paid and increased their dividends each year over the past 25 years. Check out these names, ExxonMobil and Chevron. Their current yields about three, three and a half percent. They have been on average over the past years anywhere from five to six percent. Scott, back over to you. Appreciate
1: that, Dom. Thank you. Uh, Dom doing a little sectoronomics for us. Uh, Surat, APA, uh, you got Chevron, EOG, Pioneer all over this space. It's, I find it interesting you call it a good hedge.
3: Yeah. Right now. So you pl- you're playing more defense. No, I mean, we, we've owned it and we owned it when people hated it, Scott. And, oh. and, you know, that was the time when Chevron basically was covering its dividend as well. So our play in there is, look, we know that there's much more demand than supply. And, and I like it in the portfolio because it's providing the cash flow for companies. And even if we go into a slowdown, there's just not enough production out there so these companies are going to do well what i'm looking at other than apache all the other ones have solid balance sheets and Apache's kind of growing their balance sheet too so i do like them i think of them as kind of a defensive play uh, in a portfolio that we don't know whether the markets you know the economy is going to soften or get get better all
1: right straight ahead big swings in the market pushing many retail investors to the sidelines we're following that money next on the half Welcome back to the half. Looks like fatigue may be setting in for retail investors in this volatile market. No big surprise there. Kate Rooney following that money for us. What'd you find?
8: Hey, Scott, that's right. So the latest sign of that fatigue came from the major brokerage firms this week. Third quarter trading volumes plummeting over at Schwab and Morgan Stanley. Schwab reported the lowest volumes, as we've seen since buying TD Ameritrade back in 2020. Morgan Stanley, meanwhile, which bought E-Trade around the same time, saw about a 16% slump year over a year. That was also the lowest level in two years. Robinhood has also warned against similar trends and reports in a couple weeks. Uh, some alternative data from Schwab also shows that retail investors are now the most bearish that they've been since March of 2020. That can be measured by clients' cash as a percentage of total assets. And Vanda researched this week highlighting a slowdown in retail stock purchases. Individual investors have reduced net buying and were, quote, reluctant to raise risk exposure or chase any rebounds after that CPI number. This group had been strong buyers heading into the print. Uh, Vand also says retail isn't quite throwing in the towel completely. They haven't seen what they call full capitulation, and they do expect strong retail bids in the next couple of weeks. This cohort is more sitting on the sidelines for now, but they have been moving into money market funds as those offer more attractive yields, and they're sticking with some of their longtime favorites. Tesla, the big one this week was the most bought stock, according to Vanda, dethroning Apple as number one and Tesla, rebounding, heading for a positive week after earnings. Vanda still sees what they call aggressive dip buying. For that name, Netflix and Roblox also getting a boost from those retail buyers as well. Scott, back to you.
1: All right, Kate, thank you. That's Kate Rooney. They're staying with what they like and what they know, Tesla, Apple, Netflix, Joe, Twitter. Uh, Roblox is, is some, somewhat surprising, but they did have that what, big pickup in in users, uh, which sent that stock on fire, uh, I, I believe, the other day. As well, what do you make of this? Well,
2: I think we're we're getting to the type of holding that's more consistent from a traditional standpoint with quality companies, and I think that's a good thing because I think what we witnessed in the last several years is, with the cost of capital being free, we clearly had excessive speculation within the market. You think? I think, and and you know, it was very clear, and it was it was uh, it, it was discouraging and disappointing to watch, but. You know, that community was punished for that. Now the margin cost is higher. The volatility is much higher. The erratic behavior of the market is more present uh, on a daily basis. There have so. been
1: some suggestions um, that retail hasn't capitulated and sold yet based on some, I mean, Eric Johnston of, uh, of Cantor had, had had made that point in the past that retail hadn't thrown in the towel And that now I know he's calling for a a rally now into the end of the year. But that was one thing that was keeping stocks from having that ultimate low is that retail hadn't bailed yet.
2: I disagree that. No, I disagree with that. I think cash levels are are very high. Uh, Money can be quickly in motion if we see some form of a pause from the Federal Reserve. I I don't think that's the reason. Candidly, the reason we haven't had capitulation is because earnings so far, they're coming out better than
1: feared. Well, I'm talking even, you know, well before earnings season. But Carrie, you own Schwab. So you're, you know, you're in this game um, in one way or the other.
4: Well, let's, you know, let's make a big distinction between Schwab and Robinhood, which is on you know, the list is one of the retail traders, the day traders loved Robin Hood. And Schwab is a real business. It's a big business. And they also barely charge commissions on any trades. So they weren't making money on the people who aren't trading now. They weren't making money when they were trading a lot. That's been true for a couple of years. Where they make money is as a bank, as in other services, Uh, Schwab competes with many of the other firms, including, you know, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Fidelity, for uh, all types of financial services for individuals and institutions now in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, pension um, assets. So yes, of course, in a bear market, people trade less. You know, that's exactly what you would expect. But the smaller firms like Robinhood are losing accounts, their larger accounts uh, to Schwab. And the average account at Schwab is, I don't know, maybe 15 times the average account of um, at, at Robinhood in terms of, of size. So, yes, of, of course you would think volumes are done. Do I think this affects uh, our decision to own Schwab? No, it's 15 times earnings, and this is a bear market, and things will right. adjust at a certain point, and the stock's cheap.
1: Okay, quick break, and Santoli is with us for his midday word. We're back on the half right after this. Dow is uh, up about 500. moving towards session highs for the major averages. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is with us from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. You got the journal piece. You got daily. Now you got Bullard on the tape. What do you make of all of it?
9: Well, I think the significant part, Scott, aside from the overt hints that, in fact, the Fed is about to at least have a two-sided debate about whether they can uh, pause after the November rate hike, is that the market has been kind of steadying itself, even as the bond market uh, was melting down. I mean, it was a a quasi-crash in bond prices, and and who knows if it's over or not, but absolutely had gone a long way. The S&P today it's exactly at the level, in fact, slightly above where it was four weeks ago today. Four weeks ago today, the 10-year was at 3.7, and today it got to 4.3. The two-year note was at 4.2 four weeks ago. Today, it got up to 4.6. The point is not that bond yields don't matter or they're not been a headwind and they don't have the potential to actually compress equity valuations more. The point is the stock market kind of has absorbed this latest bout of it on a point to point basis. And we'll see if that can last. If all the seasonal positive patterns get you is that the market can kind of hang in there for a little while. I'm not sure that's super bullish, but I think you call this more resilience Uh, than denial on the part of equities. I
1: love I love the way you put it at the at the very top. Right. A a two sided debate is what you call it, because what we've had in large part was a belief that they were on autopilot and it was a one sided conversation. Now you have debate in the room about what the appropriate level is going forward. And that's where Bullard is moments ago on the tape as well as stocks start to go up a little bit more
9: right exactly and you know just also getting away a little bit from the idea that the Fed's not satisfied with the amount of pain that's so far been shown in the economy. They're going to wait and see just exactly how much the economy. That'll be the debate, really, is is whether the the horse is out of the barn and the economy is going to be on a downslope from what they've done already. Uh, But for now, anyway, yeah, Harry Truman, you know, might not like the two-sided economist, but the market for now does.
1: Yeah. All right, Michael, see you in a few few hours for your last word. Uh, Coming up, we do have a ton of major earnings outside of mega cap tech that you probably own. Look at that board there. We're going to kick around some of those names. Next. All right, outside of Mega Cap Tech, take a look at that list. We're going to do a little bit of our own lightning round. Surat, GM.
3: I think GM's going to be really interesting, Scott, because two, a couple of things are going to happen. One is they're going to talk about supply. And then we're going to see where that is. But then demand is going to be really interesting. For the last two years, they could not meet up with demand. And now where is demand given where interest rates are, given where the consumer is and borrowing costs? So this stock is six times earnings. And, you know, for it to get out of its own way, we're going to need demand to improve. Merck, Joe.
1: Look, the
2: stock is. I think fundamentally, there's going to be nothing in the earnings report that's going to disrupt the technical momentum that this company has right now. The stock's breaking out. I've said that. I think it's going to 100. I'm maintaining
1: my position. It's one of my favorite names. ABV, Jason Snipe.
0: Yeah, really like ABV. Almost close to a four percent yield, eight percent free cash flow. Really strong portfolio. Skyreezy is growing like a weed. I like this name going into the print.
1: Kerry Visa.
4: So Visa's been benefiting from cross-border trade, meaning people are traveling more. They're spending money overseas. And that's an inflation hedge because as prices go up, Visa takes their share. And we think that the technical aspects of it will continue to be a positive for the stock. And so, yes, we, we like it here. When we think the quarter will be reasonably good.
1: Chipotle, Joe.
2: Four percent price increase in August. Food costs easing. Margins should benefit from that. Phenomenal management team.
1: Bristol, Surratt.
3: Nine times earnings. Got a great pipeline. We'll get some more color on it. It's got a great dividend. I like the stock.
1: Northrop, Joe. Lockheed Martin. Defense, have, defense stocks are having a great week.
2: Lockheed Martin earnings were spectacular. That's not a reason to say, OK, it's built into Northrop And If you want to do that, good luck getting back in.
1: Honeywell, Jason.
0: Yeah, I like Honeywell. I mean, you see what, what UAL did in some of the other airliners, their exposure to aerospace. You know, with a two and a quarter yield, I think I think they'll do well here. MasterCard, real quick.
3: Same as Visa. You're going to see uh, where, where spending is going. You're not going to have any issues with credit, so I like it. All right. Final trades are next.
6: Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
1: we got an all-star team on overtime tonight at 4 o'clock. Adam Parker, Stephanie Link, Victoria Green, Ed Yardeni, Greg Branch. So we can take stock in what happened this week and really look ahead to next week, the Super Bowl of earnings, all of those mega cap tech stocks, along with the ones we just went through in what is going to be the busiest week of the season. Let's do Final Trades. Kerry, you're first.
4: Unh United Healthcare, we like it because we think its Optum provider network is really picking up steam. It's a very stable cash flow generator in this kind of market. Unh works.
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of people like Unh and healthcare, Joe, you included. Yes, I own it. That's why I went to you. So now you have you'd like final to do trade?
2: I sure do. Okay. Freeport <laughs> MacMoran. Freeport Mac. And like <laughs> Yes. So Freeport that's MacMoran, I bought it a couple of weeks ago. Okay, it's enduring an environment where uh, significant supply challenges for copper are being overwhelmed by the price pressures for the spot price of copper. Cheap on a valuation basis, great play for a peak in the U.S. dollar.
1: Jason Snipe, what do you got?
0: Service Corp International, um, super defensive name, should, should respond regardless of the macro backdrop, 5% yield, really have done well and outperformed over the last five years. I like it here. Okay,
1: we got 30 seconds left. What do you got?
3: I mean, I'm going back to American Express. The stock's coming back a little bit, but I think longer term, this is a stock you want to own. It's being unfairly punished today. I think you want to own a high quality company, very good franchise. You like financials in general? You think we got a reboot? to those
1: names, which have not done anything until earnings started and they finally got a little kick.
3: I, I do. And I think if you look at the Morgan Stanley's and Goldman's of the world, they've got, you know, their, their earnings for capital markets and M&A is just shut down. So you have a great opportunity there to own those. Okay. Uh, we are just off the highs of the day.
1: We've got a pretty good one going. I'll see you in a few in OT, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.